0: This is Dan Santat, and you're listening to the Great Big Beautiful Podcast.
1: Have you been to
2: Disneyland?
3: Affirmative. That was definitely an e-ticket. I can't believe all the new gadgets they've got now. Well, we didn't even have a house phone. not to mention laser discs,
4: high-def TV.
0: You are listening to The Great Big Beautiful Podcast. This week on the show... Telling a story, like just in a, a, a genre story, it really, it went against my training. Mm-hmm. You know, it, was, uh, it really went against the grain. It kind of went against my upbringing in a way, um, because it was so unliterary. Uh, compared to what my parents did i really had to and just decide i just want to have fun i just want to do this thing that's going to give me so much pleasure can i just do that and uh in the end i could but i really had to you know get back to, to a corner before i could uh kind of admit that here are your hosts jamie green and justin connors
3: this is the great big beautiful podcast you can find us on facebook and twitter at the gbb podcast as well as the gbbpodcast.com. and i just wanted to ask you something right off the top of the show if you haven't left an itunes review for us yet and you listen to us every week and you enjoy our show we would love for you to go and do that we're really pushing hard for it because we want to we want to shoot up those rankings in the itunes it's all about that algorithm baby
1: should
3: be a song. It's all about the. That wouldn't rhyme. I don't think it would go good.
1: No, that doesn't make a good song. And it's it's not a good. Let's let's put it. Let's put a different spin on it. Let's say we just want to get in more ears. We yes. want to get in more subscription um, um right. inboxes. You know, rather than you know shoot up the rankings of iTunes.
3: Exactly. Well, and the more. And the more you write the reviews, and the more people that can discover us through that, uh, the better. The you know the bigger guests we can get, and the more interesting conversations we can have. You know, because people respond to that <laughs> when when there's a higher listenership, you, you can land more people, and that's what we're in it for. So write that review. <laughs> talk about how <laughs> handsome Justin is. You know, that's that's what I like to read in those reviews. So
1: <laughs> have, have you seen a lot of those? Yeah, yeah.
3: Pretty much all of our reviews.
1: That's what it oh, says. okay. I got it. So they were all written by your wife and kids. Yes. <laughs> okay. All
3: right. So this week we have a special guest once again,
2: Samantha. Woo! Yes, I am back. <laughs>
1: hello, welcome hello. back. We thank like you. having you.
2: Oh, thank you. At least somebody does.
1: Yeah, well, and we, we hope that the listeners like having you here too because you're going to get a lot of Sam over the next couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Hope you I feel don't get like her. Say sorry. <laughs>
3: <laughs> we'll know by we'll see the download numbers of Samantha's episode. Oh. <laughs> I don't well, know. you know
1: what? You know, we, we have a couple um, reliable co-hosts who like to step in when we have mm-hmm. authors. Um, you know we've talked about this before we bring people in when when they have a vested interest in the guest and they and they, they you know either are a super fan or yeah um for whatever their own reason is um one thing that blows my mind with sam sam putting you on the spot you you claim that you read everything so i had this stack of books um it's it's sitting here right next to me it's probably like 15 books tall these are books that were sent to me by various publishers that I didn't ask for and I know honestly I'm never gonna read and so I shared them with a few people and I said listen before I bring these to donate them Does anybody want any and Sam, you know, bless your heart. He said well Give it a day in any book that nobody else claims. I'll just take them all <laughs> I'm like They're not all that good. Like many of them don't look that interesting <laughs> That's why I'm giving them away.
2: <laughs> different people like different things.
1: But you just read everything.
2: I will pretty much read anything. Yes. Um, even stuff that if if it's available to me and I'm in the mood for something different, I'll give it a try. Um, and that's – I mean that's how I found a lot of – actually that's how I found a lot of audiobooks that I really like because um, I'll kind of latch on to – Narrators for the audiobooks, the voice actors. Right. And then I'll follow them <laughs> and I'll pick up other things that they've narrated. Um, and I've gotten into some interesting audiobooks that way, like in uh, different authors, and be like, oh, I actually like that story. So I'm going to go listen to or read something else by the author. Huh, kind of like that one. And of things that I never would have picked up before, but they were just in front of me. Um, somebody's given me the book. Somebody sent me one unsolicited. That's happened a few times to me as well. Um, I'll take a look at them. But, yeah, I will pretty much read anything. And then, I mean, I'll start it. And if it's not grabbing me, I just put it away. And I pick up something yeah. else. And I try to give it to somebody who'll like it.
3: So so, so what I'm hearing ahead. is Samantha actually has an Amazon store. And that's where <laughs> the books are going.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, she's, are you saying she's just selling them all? Yeah. <laughs>
2: oh, if only I had the energy. Be no trust
1: me it takes i've i've tried selling books that way you don't you don't make a lot of money no. it's, it's not even worth it mm. uh, it's it's not and it's just not not even books that were sent to me it's not i'm not like trying to be like cheap like that and like books that were sent to me review and then i try to sell them like no these are just books that i've had for years right and i think well if i can make a couple bucks rather than donate them but it's it's such a hassle and it's In the end, you're making like pennies on the dollar because Amazon takes their cut and you have to pay Mm -hmm. for shipping and blah, 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 so it's not worth it. (laughs) Um, But in light of today's conversation, today we're talking to Lev Grossman, who is the author of The Magicians series. Do you remember how you found those books? Was Was that random or did you seek those out specifically?
2: I picked up the original of the trilogy, The Magicians, in an actual brick and mortar bookstore, which I know blows everyone's what mind are those? these days, I know. What are those? We still have them. <laughs> um, and I picked it up. It was actually, this is actually kind of a funny story now that I think about it, which it didn't occur to me before. The books were out of order. And I'm one of those huh. people <laughs> that I know when I'm looking for a particular book in a bookstore or a library, it drives me insane when it's not where it's supposed to be. I will fix it. I do this at libraries. I do it in bookstores. And I was looking and he was under his first name instead of his last name. And I forget who I was looking for that started with L in the fantasy and science fiction section. But I was looking for someone in particular. And I'm like, oh, they've got it under his first name. And I pulled the book out to move it. And I caught the cover. And I'm like, oh, that's an interesting, yeah, magician's interesting cover. And I flipped it over and I read the description well, I looked at the price and I'm like, I'll give that a shot and huh. that I didn't have to reshelve it. And yeah, and so I really liked the book Um and it's one of those kind of kismet things I think I was looking and I ended up not buying the other book that I went there for. Yeah. That's so
1: funny You don't hear that I mean because Obviously because people Don't really go into Physical brick and mortar (laughs) Bookstores anymore You know we've all gotten So accustomed to the Amazon If you like this book Then you might want to pick up Or other people bought these other things Mm -hmm. Um, But I used to work in A Borders and a Barnes and Noble And um, that is how You would discover A lot of books And a lot of authors It was just What was next to the book You were looking for On the shelf Or you would just scan the shelf And something would catch your eye because we all do. We don't like to admit it, but we all do judge a book by its cover.
2: We do. I do more so than others. If it's got an ugly yeah. cover,
1: mm yeah. Yep, And as a former bookstore employee, thank you for reshelving the book where it belonged.
2: You're welcome. It's it's the former library worker in me. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's going to ask me for that book in six months, and I'm not going to know where it's at. I'm moving it. Yep,
3: know. Yep. <laughs> All right. So you guys had a conversation with, with uh, Lev Grossman. How did it go? What was it? What did you talk about?
2: I, it went really well. Yeah, it was um, – you just – oh, you never know, right, like right. general personalities of people. And honestly, I can say every person that I've had the pleasure of interviewing for this podcast has had a phenomenal sense of humor. And Lev's wasn't bad either, so I'll give him props for that. And he was <laughs> – he was open to my you know my always entertaining final question and really gave it some thought so i hope uh, everybody enjoys that part when they get to it um
1: yeah the candy question is always a hit
2: yeah he gave what was the most entertaining to me answer because he gave that some serious morbid thought yeah, yeah. Um, which one he wanted to be um so i i love that everyone we have on including lev brings their sense of humor is open to some of our you know our I don't want to call him digs, but you know what I mean, where we pick up on something they say and kind of ribble yeah. about it a little bit. He handled that very well. Yeah. Um, and I like that he was quite open about what his plans were going forward. It was very interesting to hear about what he's planning to do next, which actually isn't more of the magicians. So,
1: yeah, that was a, that's what what's really fascinating to me. You know, a lot of the conversations that we have with various creative type people sort of. We, we tend to not ask the nitty gritty about whatever the latest book or show or movie mm-hmm. is, you know, because those are the kinds of questions that you can find anywhere. Um, I'm more interested in how those things come about, you know, how somebody takes an, the seed of an idea and follows it all the way through to final product. Um, and one of the things that's really interesting, and he wrote a blog post about this, which we talk a little bit about um, is that he has been, I don't want to use the word struggling but he has been experimenting with different forms and different types of writing. He's written a screenplay, he wrote a a middle grade chapter novel, he wrote a young adult novel or he he at least started each of these. To, and it's it's all for him it was all about finding the voice inside of him and what direction it was telling him to move in because it's been a few years since he wrapped up Uh, the magicians and you know he was he was involved with the show for a little while but he's not involved the day to day that he's not show running it or anything Um, but you know so I think he's probably feeling a little bit of inner um, not anxiety but um, pressure he's pressuring himself you know what's next what am I what am I going to get next and a lot of his fans are are really curious to see what's going to come next so uh, right now it's it was just fascinating to see that you know a peak you know pull back the curtain a little bit to see um, he doesn't really know what's next. And, you know, he's, he's not willing to just sort of, um, take the easy road and follow the cookie cutter path and say, you know, I had a phenomenal success with the magicians. I'm just going to write another one, or I'm going to follow that same mold and do another book that, that I know, I think my readers will buy. He, he's, he's looking for something different if it, if it needs to be, but the, the right, creative the right story to to sort of scratch that creative itch for him
2: that's absolutely correct and and I like that he shared a little bit about why he went down that path um it wasn't just a yeah I kind of like this you know this genre uh, he he had a whole reason for going there and I know a lot of times people ask me well you know what made you do that what what made you think of that and I honestly just sit there going I got no clue Popped into my head one day. Sounded good. Um, I'm sure there was a thought process, but like I remember, I'm old. So, (laughs) But I love hearing that. It it helps me think about um, myself creatively. What do I want to do with my future? And and hearing their stories of, you know, what it was that, that, you know, kind of stuck in their head and they've been chewing on for 10 plus years. And now they're finally getting to it. Mm -hmm. it. It's nice to see that maybe I don't have to write off all those things that I wanted to do in my 20s.
3: (laughs) (laughs) All right, so we're going to go play that interview for you right now. Hope you enjoy.
1: Lev, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. It's a uh, pleasure to have you.
0: I'm so happy to be here.
1: Um, I wanted to go back uh, a little bit, I guess, before the magicians, and uh, I understand that your first book you spent five years writing the second book you spent six years writing. Um, and that to me is fascinating for a number of reasons, but I'm just curious what kept you focused and determined that for that long, because that's a long time to spend with one story.
0: Oh, it is. It's so painful to go back past the magicians, um, and think about that period. Uh, uh, you know, it's, it's actually a little bit of a, a mystery to me in retrospect, um, why I kept, um, pounding away at it for so long uh when when i was having so little success Mm
3: -hmm.
0: um uh i definitely worked on warp for five years and it's quite a short novel and i just kept going back over it uh, and over it and over it i think um i was you know i was stuck for a lot of reasons i felt so strongly like i needed to say something and so strongly like i had no idea how to say it and readers who read my work would also you know they weren't responding to it in the way that I hoped that they would um and I just felt it was just like to choose a cliche metaphor it was just like this itch that I just couldn't reach Mm -hmm. I knew there was a way to do it um and I just and I knew that I wasn't getting it right but I couldn't leave it alone uh even when from a logical professional standpoint (laughs) kind of made sense for me to give up uh I think it helped that you know i was i i was in a little bit of a depressive phase in my life i didn't have that much else going on so if i was going to waste my nights and weekends um you know on this feudal quest um i kind of uh, there was nothing there wasn't that much else competing for my attention
1: yeah when mm. when you again though i mean there's there's a there's a fine line between you know that determination and madness which you kind of hinted at there but you know so it's like it's one thing to say to yourself that like i i'm, I'm going to find a way to scratch that itch i'm going to find a way to tell the story that i really want to and if it takes me 5 years then dag it it's going to take me 5 years but you know you're still surrounded by other people so how many? Like, I'm sure there were other people in your life, friends, family, that were aware that it was taking you five years to write the story. Like, were they supportive during that whole time? Did they were they were they helpful in getting you through that?
0: Yeah, yeah. I'd love to say yeah. I'd love to give that a resounding yes. Um, I think people people regarded it as this, like, faintly embarrassing hobby. That, <laughs> that had. You know, a kid like if I were LARPing on the weekends, you know, and they weren't into it, but <laughs> they didn't want to say anything. But, you know, they just sort of politely turned the other way. You know, there's, there's a funny there's a funny way where, um, you know, in, in some ways, I think I kept going just because I had put so much t- time into it. Yeah. You know, if, if you spend a week on something and you abandon it, you're like, ah, that was a week, you know, you know, no big deal, um, You wait, but then you spend five years on something, and you're like, wow, if I abandon it now, that means I wasted five years. In some ways, I felt like I have no choice but to keep going because I pushed so many chips into the pot. You know, if I fold now, um, uh, I'm going to lose so much. Yeah, I just couldn't bear to stop.
1: Obviously, something changed because then you know you you moved into the magician stories. you found that story that you wanted to tell and it, it, it I'm assuming came a little bit easier and a little bit quicker. But looking back though on the the process that you went through with those first two books, do you can you recognize now what made what made it so so hard for you and such so, so time consuming?
0: You know, it's so funny. Um, they, re, they reissued my first book um, last year, and so I reread it for the first time since it had been published, which was almost 20 years. Hmm. Uh, And it was incredibly fascinating to, um, to go back and see, you know, what was there that I recognized, and, you know, and what was missing. Um, I, you know, I think partly, I was trying to, um, I was, I was, in some ways, I was trying to come to terms with, this is going to sound really glib, um, but uh, my desire to tell stories.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I came from, you know, I, my, my, my parents were very literary people. They were English professors, they were both writers. I was schooled very much on, you know, uh, and, and, and it, on, uh, on really on modernism, on these writers like Joyce and Wolf, who their whole job, their whole project as writers were to kind of take apart stories. Um, and just tell a story about a day where hardly anything happens, you know, Um, they drop you in the middle of it and then nothing gets resolved at the end. Uh, And I love those books and at the same time, I love fantasy and science fiction and genre fiction, which is all about telling stories. Um, And uh, I was trying to find kind of some way to uh, make peace between these two traditions, you know, Joyce and Wolf, they felt that storytelling was very false to reality and to, you know, what life was really like. And yet I also felt like stories, I loved them. They were so fun and satisfying and they had something to say to me. Um, Telling a story like just in a a, a genre story, um, something in the fantasy genre, it really, it went against my training. You know, it was—it uh, really went against the grain. It kind of went against my upbringing in a way, um, because it was so unliterary uh, compared to what my parents did. I think uh, I really had to, you know, uh, move through this block and just decide: I just want to have fun. Yeah. I just want to do this thing that's going to give me so much pleasure. Um, uh, can I just do that? And uh, in the end, I could. But I really had to you know, get back into a corner before I could uh, kind of admit that.
1: It, it's, it, it, when you talk about literary fiction, it's almost frowned upon, like write, writing for fun just to tell a fun story, you know, and it's, it, was that was that something you had to sort of admit to yourself that, that it's okay to do that?
0: So much. I so much <laughs> had to do that. It, and again, it's so funny. Modernism, which I love, it's so much about, difficulty, it's so much about, you know, the work you have to do as a reader to read Ulysses, it's hard. <laughs> so, um, that, no doubt. That, that doesn't come naturally. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, and I, and you know, for literature to mean something, I felt like it had to be difficult in that way. And I think that's actually a wrong idea. And I had to surrender to the idea that um, I loved reading that was fun and gave me pleasure. And you know, Maybe it actually might also mean something, too.
1: Yeah.
4: So uh, getting back to, to the actual books you've written, so you wrote Warp and Codex, obviously a few years apart, but the reception to those two books and the response from people who read them was light years apart from everything that that I can tell. Uh, What happened in the interim for you? What did you focus on that you think helped improve Codex and make it that much more
0: appealing to readers? Uh, You know, I was edging towards the idea that it was okay to tell a story. That's a weird thing to say, and yet it's true. Warp is completely deconstructed. Um, It uh, doesn't really have narrative structure per se. It's very episodic, um, and deliberately incoherent in that way that, you know, stuff in the modernist modernist tradition is. I think I had read, um, I read, uh, The Secret History by Donna Tartt, which is, uh, a, a kind of mystery novel, but also set in this very sort of, um, wonderfully erudite, um, beautifully evoked academic setting. Um, it had a lot of literary qualities and a lot of genre qualities too. I read that and I read Possession by A.S. Byatt, uh, of which I think you could say some of the same things. And you know, I was coming around, edging around to the idea that what if you could tell something that had a plot. It was I was really, with Codex, aiming for more like a thriller plot. There's nothing fantastical in it. There's no future technology in it. Um, I just wanted to, I was reading a lot of Michael Crichton uh, mm. And I admired the kind of crystalline, you know, perfection with which he wrote novels like um, *Dress Park*, which is, you know, a perfect novel in its own way. Um, And so I was edging toward the idea: what if you did a sort of a thriller plot or a mystery plot, like *Secret History* or *Possession*? Um, Maybe, you know, you could you could put some stuff in there that that actually meant something. And *Codex* has a lot of sort of um, some medieval stuff that I'd been reading in graduate school. Uh, it also has a lot of video games in it because I was playing a lot of video games at the time. Um, and I know I was codex, you know it's it's funny. people like it, but they complain about the ending, which um, isn't resolved enough. And I think in retrospect, that's probably true because again, I wasn't all the way there. I couldn't tell a thriller that had a bang ending or a mystery that was completely solved. I still was like, no, no, you know, it's got to be ambiguous. it's got to be. Just like life, it never has a real ending. It um, <laughs> really annoyed. It really annoyed people. And I, I've, I've, even I knew that there was another way, but um, I couldn't really get there until the magicians.
4: Gotcha. You know, and so I've I've heard multiple people. Describe Hollis from Warp as like the early version of Quentin from The Magicians, and and do you feel that's true, or do you feel like they came from two different places and they're two completely separate characters?
0: Oh, they—they obviously came from the same place, which is me. Um, Yeah, but literally,
4: (laughs) yes, they came from the same place. You know,
0: they're they're both recognizable versions of myself in my late teens, early twenties. Um, you know, they are thinking a lot, um, and yet not doing very much. They're kind of, they're trapped by depression. There's all, all the stuff going on in their heads and nothing going on in their lives. Mm. They have trouble making, you know, they have trouble even having proper relationships uh, with other people. Um, cause are so, they have, there's, they're just so caught up in working through their own, their own stuff in their fantasy lives. Fortunately for Quentin, he has magical powers, which Hollis did not have. If he had had magical powers, things of what have, might have gone much better for him. <laughs> um, and you know, Quentin does uh, a lot more growing than Hollis does. Um, and I think that's probably because I, start, I wrote The Magicians when I was 35 and I had done a lot more growing. And I understood really where that story was, was, was leading. When I was at Red Warp, I was still kind of trapped in the story. Um, I didn't know how to make my character grow as a person, because I was still myself very young for my age and didn't really know what being grown up meant. Um, I knew a lot more about that when I wrote The Magicians.
4: That makes perfect sense. Um, So speaking of The Magicians, I have to ask this question. Do you remember exactly what you were doing the day you found out that Sci-Fi had picked up The Magicians for a series?
0: Oh yeah, I completely do. I completely remember that. Um, It was, I I can't stress enough that it was not, it was, it was, it was, uh, it wasn't a bolt from the blue. I had been grinding at the process of getting this, an adaptation made for about five years at that point, Mm. literally going from door to door in Hollywood, not literally, (laughs) (laughs) going from door to door in Hollywood. uh, I did go to some actual doors. So uh, but I was really going around to a lot of different producers, a lot of studios, production companies with, you know, this idea of turning this book into, um, uh, into a show and, you know, it was one of those things where everybody was interested but nobody was going to pull the trigger quite. We'd already walked up to it with Fox, which would, you know, they wrote a script. There was a great pilot script and it just, they, they almost made it but then they didn't. Even sci-fi had started up Producing it and then shut it down once before. Hmm. So it was our second go-round in sci-fi, and I knew that you know negotiations were ongoing and they broke down and then uh, um, they you know miraculously came back together again. And I remember getting the call and I remember thinking, gosh, I know that they're close. I hope it doesn't happen today because I'm incredibly hungover. Yeah. You know, I'm gonna want to celebrate, but. I just can't even think about drinking champagne right now, <laughs> and yet the call came, um, and I was on my back. I was on my my back deck, um, and my wife was oh, was was eavesdropping intently because she had a sense of what was going on, and I was like, "Oh, I don't feel so good, but I'm also really happy. <laughs> <laughs> Some champagne."
1: <laughs> you were just celebrating a little bit early. That's all that that was, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I celebrated early and often. <laughs>
1: How much, kind of is, totally. how much is how much has the show taken over your life at this point? I know I know you're not directly involved with the writing of episodes, but you do consulting and I'm sure you're, you' you get on set as much as you possibly can probably.
0: Yeah, I was I, it was much more my life er, earlier on when um, they were still getting going and still figuring out you know kind of the tone of the show. Um, and the pace and the, and, and the characters, and the actors were figuring out their relationships to the characters. Um, I was much more a part of it then. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you know, less than you would think. Uh, the season three premiered um, a couple nights ago now, and um, I, um, you know, and they had a big party but it was in LA and they were all there getting drunk. And I was sort of in New York um, and I it was really jet lagged. I just come back from Australia and I like tried to stay up until nine o'clock, which was when the actual show went on the air. But I was like, oh, I just, I tweeted a couple of times and then I went to bed. Um, you know, so they have their own, they have their own thing going on, which is kind of what you want. You know, they had to, t- to take it and make it their own. Um, and I love to be involved and the, the actors and the people who make it are super cool. Like I just like hanging out with them, you know, for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> but uh, the show is filmed in Vancouver. I rarely get out there. I have three kids, and you know that may require me to be around a lot. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so you know, it's, it, and also I, 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 um, in the, it's just in the way of being a writer. I'm working really hard on projects that are sort of unrelated to it now. Yeah, uh, it's a weird thing. I mean, the magicians consumed my life. For five years, when I was writing it, and then for five more years, when I was writing the two sequels. Um, but *The Magician's Land*, the third one, came out five years ago. No, wait, what year is it? It came out, th- <laughs> it came out three years ago. Uh, and uh, um, the, you know, the show is a big thing, but it's mainly its own thing. Um, and uh, uh, I would say, you know, it has taken over my life to only a small extent.
1: Is that is that weird for you? I mean, it's gotta be it's gotta be nice, you know. Like you said, that's what you want is that it takes on its own life. But these are still characters and situations that you created, and now they really have taken on their own life. There's other writers playing in your sandbox. Is that how how bizarre is that for you to look at from the outside in on?
0: Oh, that was super bizarre. That was that was um, when they first were writing the scripts long before the show actually aired. Um, I really I. I, I discovered something I didn't know about myself, which is that I'm a huge control freak. <laughs> and that's probably why I write novels, which is one of those medium where media where a single creator has, you know, total control over what's going on. Pretty much, the idea of surrendering control of my characters, and not just the characters, you know, the costumes and right. what music's playing in the background and what the sets look like and what the camera angles are, giving all that stuff up to dozens of other people um really kind of did my head in uh completely and uh I sort of I I had sort of several breakdowns during the early process by the time the show came on the air and anybody else saw it I, I seemed super cool and fine with it because <laughs> I was but uh th- that was a you know it, it was a real journey accepting that um you know this story which I had written initially other people were going to tell it and it was going to mean slightly different things to them than it, it meant to me.
4: Yeah, I mean, it sounds like that it's kind of bittersweet, right? Um, you're excited that to see it come to this. And obviously, you know, it's 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 nice to be able to not to bring money into it, but I'm sure you get paid for this and that frees you up to do other things you want to do. So there's that bittersweetness there. but along those lines like i'm i'm trying to imagine how it would be for me and i'm wondering like there's got to be something that you're like you know i hate that they changed this but i kind of like what they did with that <laughs> do you have any of those like maybe one of each something that you kind of like that they changed but one thing
0: you're like man i wish they had not touched that that was so key to the story oh yeah i have about twenty thousand. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, it's an intense experience for me watching watching the show, um, recognizing the things that um, come from the books and uh, also recognizing the things that um, come from, you know, somebody completely different. I, I, I remember, I struggled a lot with the, with the, the pilot um, because it moves very quickly through the early days at Breakbills. Um, it really gets the characters from, you know, the very opening page of, of the magicians to you know about a quarter of the way through the novel in one episode and mm-hmm. there are a lot of incidents you know which i felt were very finely crafted <laughs> i had i put in the book that you know just got skipped and i i i, I rebelled very much uh uh against that and of course now i've come to accept it with time <laughs> um, but there, there are other things that you know are super great about it the um Breakbills is a way more diverse place Than it was in the books I imagine it as diverse in the books But I didn't make a point of specifying mm. uh, uh, Specifying that um, uh, And you know in the show You can see it There's people of lots of different colors uh, mm. at And that is how it should be um, They compressed The first and second books together So that um, Quentin's story and Julia's story uh, Which are actually in separate books, they run parallel to one another. Uh-huh. Um, and that was a, that's a really good idea. Um, and it's, I wouldn't rule out the possibility that if I had figured out Julia's story earlier, I would have done it that way myself. As it <laughs> happened, I didn't figure out till the second book what Julia was doing while everybody else was doing their thing. Um, but if I had, maybe I would have done it that way. Those two stories, they really balance each other and resonate with each other in interesting ways.
4: Well, and it kind of makes sense. Like, like you said, you didn't know where you were going with the character of Julia, but it, it for a reader, it's kind of cool. Um, I'm thinking of books like, gosh, the the big example is Game of Thrones comes to mind because there's so many characters in that book, right? Most of them don't get screen time, right? They just get mentioned and then they're off because he did a really good job of that. you You went from character to character, and you knew these things were happening, you know, concurrently. Um, and that was a very cool thing. And yeah, that that probably would have been nifty. But I, I think you did a very good job uh, telling the story separately, as well. Um, so so good job on that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I did have I did have one pressing question, very specific question. Why in the heck did they change Janet's name to Margot? Like, what was the reasoning? Do you know?
0: <laughs> you know. <laughs> um. I'll tell you the reasoning um, and, uh, and and this is the reasoning. <laughs> the network found it confusing that so many char- characters so many of the characters names began with J. Mm. There was Janet, and then there was also a Julia and a Josh um, and it was too many J's so oh. uh, Janet became Margot. Uh, oddly enough. That was not the first time I had heard that criticism um, from a studio executive. Almost every studio executive um, uh, sort of said, um, it's confusing with all the J's. I never found it confusing myself, but um, it doesn't yeah. actually matter to me in the slightest. Margot happens to be a name that I like. <laughs> it's really good. it's really all good. I get confused now um, between Janet and Margot. Um, uh, okay. <laughs> Come to accept that they're essentially the same person. Let's just
4: assume Margot is Janet's middle name, and she decided, you know, to go with Margot, and she became famous. Um, We'll we'll do that. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and and kind of an aside there, I was very surprised because in the books, I had very specific characters you know you, you you form like a kind of an alliance you know in your head with certain characters when i watch the tv show i'm finding myself drawn to different characters than in the book i absolutely love margo she is just one step shy of you know bat crap crazy and it's perfect it's perfect for the role she's playing um and you know she was a little weird the books too but they really ramped that up both for her and for elliot but like for her in particular, her in that role of queen is shockingly perfection, and and they definitely nailed it. I think in the TV show as well, um, the right mix of her crazy and responsible showing through. Um, but yeah, she's. I think she might be my favorite character in the TV show, but she was not in the book.
0: Yeah, they they do great things with her. Um, I think um, partly because Summer, the actress who plays her, has this a. Uh, uh, amazing um range Mm -hmm. you know she's got a a wonderful sort of angry edge to her but she's incredibly funny and yet Mm -hmm. also there's this kind of very pathos that, that just surfaces occasionally um uh there's a lot of dimensions to that character the way she plays it and i it's super fun watching it because she takes it to places that i couldn't get on my own um that's one of those things that gives me a lot of pleasure
1: I watched a, uh, a speech you gave, I think I might have been the one at Google a few years ago, um, and I had to laugh when you were talking about how everyone at Hogwarts, you knew they were having sex, but it was just off frame. You know, that, that students are not as good as they were on screen or that they were in the pages. You knew it was happening, we just didn't see it. But that was something that you wanted to include in your books because the characters were older. Mm. Um, I'm just curious, you know, now that it's made the jump to uh, a visual medium how you feel about the portrayal of those scenes and and the amount of it in the show whether it's still in line with how you f- you were envisioning those characters to act mean the amount of sex yes
4: <laughs> the the large amount of sex. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: oh I, I think i think it's good i think it's a good amount it's funny what you know it's funny what comes out um how how it plays on tv because you know the Things you can do on TV um, and then things you can't. You can do anything in a novel, Yeah. anything. One of the great things about books being, you know, sort of small in the way that they are is, you know, they're not heavily regulated. Uh, But then TV, it's, you know, if you want to signify people kind of breaking rules or or being edgy, well, you know, what can you do? They can swear a certain amount. I think they actually... um, sci-fi, uh, insisted on dipping the volume every time one of them said, fuck, um, the first two seasons in the third season, they no longer dip the volume. It's amazing. (laughs) Uh, So they can swear a lot. They can drink a lot. That doesn't seem to be a a huge problem. Uh, there can be plenty of violence. You know, you still, the sex is still very much like TV sex. Yeah. You know, um, (laughs) there's no actual nudity really. Um, and it all is very simulated. Um, and it's sort of a shame in a way. Um, uh, I don't know that we need, like, Game of Thrones level genitalia um, in the show. But uh, and it's, it's something to aspire to. Because uh, real life is genitals, you know? And um, I, want, I want the show to feel like
1: real life.
4: Well, that's for the director's cut when they release the DVDs. Oh, Lord. That was hilarious.
1: Um moving away from uh the genitals. Um I apologize. <laughs> unless Sam you had a follow up genitals question. <laughs> um No, I do not. Have no, a you don't. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Um I would imagine that every young writer just starting out has this dream that, like, they're, they they have that one book or that one series or that one, you know, trilogy or whatever, what have you, that that really hits the sweet spot, really finds an audience, you know, and makes them a millionaire or a household name or whatever. You know, their dreams are going to come true. Um, I think what is lost in that dream and what most people don't realize is that once you do find that story you're almost inevitably linked to that story forever and all time. doesn't matter what you do after it's that first break. That's what you're going to be linked to. Have you experienced any of that? Is it hard for you to move on to something else at this point? (laughs) Um, uh, Well,
0: I, you know, exhibit is the fact that I haven't really moved on. Uh, (laughs) Uh, I spent about a year um, after um, the third book came out um, making false starts uh, on different projects, which which kind of went nowhere. And I I did, you know, it, it it was tricky. You know, I I would try to do something that was completely different from the magicians uh, you know, just to show that I could do something completely different, but that's not a good, it's not really a good enough reason to write something just because it's completely different from the last thing you did. Um, and I would push into different genres where I wasn't as comfortable. Um, you know, I think there's this, I think there's probably three abandoned novels, um, maybe more on my, on my hard drive. Um, uh, and yet at the same time, you know, I was in that world of the magicians for uh, a long time, 10 years, uh, really from the time I started writing magicians to when magician's land came out. And, you know, there were things that, that, um, you know, you couldn't really do, uh, um, in the magician's world that I was dying to do just dying to do. And so it was really, um, in some ways really liberating to move on and, and do something different. Um, I, uh, you know, I'm old enough, I mean, I'm super old, I'm 48 years old, um, <laughs> that I'm not necessarily, at this point, that spooked by the, the, by either the, the prospect of doing something no, or the possibility that, you know, the magicians will end up being the best thing I ever did. Uh, it also helps, I think, that I had uh, a good amount of failure before The Magicians came on. It's not like I'm trapped in my first novel that I wrote when I was 22, mm-hmm. and which was an overnight success. Um, the Magicians came out when I was 40, so, you know, uh, uh, I, I love it a lot, and it's still a huge part and of, of, of who I am. Um, at the same time, it's exciting to write something with older characters, um, uh, which is something that, you know, The Magicians was really about people in that, that part of their lives from about 17 to about 30. Um, it's really exciting to write about people who are, who are going through different things, you know, having kids or mm-hmm. being married um or you know, having their backs hurt and things like that <laughs> that happen to you later in life. Um, and that, you know, have been happening to me. Uh, that's really fun and exciting and 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 liberating. So yeah. it's hard, but then at the same time, you know, um, you build up a lot of pressure and you just it's wonderful to release it.
1: Yeah. Well you recently you wrote about that. You shared that, you know, since you've wrapped the trilogy, you have been playing with you know, not only just different genre, but different format. You know, you wrote a, you started, I should say, a you know, YA book, a middle grade book, a screenplay. Um, I'm curious if you can just talk about what led you in those directions. Was it just a creative drive to see what works and to see what you could do?
0: I, um, I spent quite a while fooling around with young adult stuff. Um, because in part, because I love young adult novels, mm-hmm. uh, even at, at my age, I love them. I, when I read the Hunger Games or Harry Potter, uh, you know, there's something I really recognize about the, the, the about the feelings, the rawness of young adult stuff. Um, you know, young, when you're in that phase where you have kind of no perspective on your own emotions, they just seem so huge. Uh, I find that really compelling, and I love the way people that age read. You know, they get really lost in books. Mm-hmm. And just passionate about them in a way that um, a lot of people lose when they're when they're older. So I was really drawn to it, and I still am drawn to it, um, and I still haven't given up on the idea that I will one day finish my young adult novel. Um, but it turn, didn't turn out to be the time. I did write a screenplay about teenagers, which is at this moment rattling around various offices in Hollywood, um, and you know, which I have I have high hopes for. Uh, it was exciting to write a screenplay, um, in part simply because it was new. Yeah, and I'd never done it before. Movie stories are shaped in different ways. Um, it's wonderful to write a story where you don't have to describe people's clothes all the time because they're just they're on the screen on their screen. Um, you know, it's just, thank goodness I don't have to say what color his shirt is, um, because uh, you know everybody can see. Um, you know that that's been really exciting, um, but you know as a, as I as I said earlier just because something is new it doesn't turn out to be enough reason to do it and you know the major project that i've been working on uh it is another novel it's a novel for grown-ups it is ostensibly in the fantasy genre although a different kind of part of the fantasy genre from the magicians um so as it turns out the apple is falling some distance from the tree but not like miles away from the tree
1: Mm -hmm. can you are you Comfortable? Can you share anything about those other projects beyond, you know, a one line description? I'm just I'm just because this fascinates me that, that, that not just the creative process, but when 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 you really try to branch out, when an, when an author tries to branch out and say, um, you know, OK, this is this is where I found my success. you know I found my success with the, you know, this type of book. But now I really want to try this other type of book or this other audience yeah. and see if I can do that.
0: Um, you know, it 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 starts with the stuff that you like. Lo- you like to read, basically. When I read a, a novel and I fall in love with it, and it really resonates with something inside me, I know that I could write something like that. Um, uh, you know, it's 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 somewhere inside me, and if I can get it out on the page, great. But it's uh, uh, if I fall in love with a book, I know that that genre, I have something to say in that genre. Yeah. Um, and uh, where I ended up, uh, um. In terms of the the new book was a, a novel about King Arthur. I'd always loved um, the Once and Future King by um, T.H. White. That is a novel. If you read that novel, um, you can probably and then read The Magicians. You could probably tell that I'm kind of biting his style in places because I think I learned a lot about what good writing is just from reading that novel over and over and over again. Um, and uh, I to that King Arthur story, I came back to it um, and found that I was, I felt slight, slightly surprised that I felt like I had something new to say that wasn't in Once in Future King, but I, I felt like I really did. Um, and once you get into King Arthur, it's such a powerful story. You know, you realize people have been telling and retelling the story of King Arthur for literally a thousand years. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, longer. You know, it, it really, it dates back to um, the 500s, the 600s. Um, and, uh, it's, uh, it's, you know, in some ways a, a, a larger story than, than the magicians, you know, it gets at, um, not just interpersonal, um, things, but it's a story about, you know, countries and empires and power and politics. Um, and yet it's also this intensely personal story at the same time, um, so you know it, it, it it's it's a, it's a fantasy novel, um, but in 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 a lot of ways it, it just comes at everything from very different angle than the magicians.
1: Yeah, you, know, you, you talking about you know the other directions that you you were trying to go and and having them end up as just a file, unfinished file on your hard drive. It, yeah. You know it that process of of finding what works often does lead either to a dead end or to just a realization that like, ah, this is, this is going to go nowhere. So I'm just going to move on to something else. Generally speaking, does that, does that invigorate you or frustrate you like creatively? Does, is it, you know, because you're trying new things and if, okay, I know that doesn't work. So that's, 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 I'm not going to try that again. Does that frustrate you or does that, does that like sort of charge you up creatively? Oh,
0: it's so painful. Yeah. It's so painful. <laughs> Writing. i, I Writing is just a really slow process. Um, I don't even think I'm an exceptionally slow writer. I would say I'm probably an averagely slow writer. Um, but you know, even to write fifty thousand words uh, of a novel, which is uh, maybe that would be like two thirds of a young adult novel, um, uh, or maybe half of an adult novel, it takes months. It takes months and months. And once when you when you reach a point where you realize wow i'm actually stopping i'm actually going to write that off you just think about the day after day after day you spent uh, alone in your study working on this thing and realize that you're just throwing that all away yeah you have to keep in your head that it's actually part of part of the process writing words and throwing them away is part of the process of getting towards where you want to be eventually but it's really hard to just say okay i'm going to i'm going to write them off they're gone i'm 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 going to mourn them uh, and you feel like kind of an idiot too. You you know I I'll spend all day writing something and being like, oh, yes, I'm so into it. I'm actually a genius. Um, I can't believe I'm writing this immortal prose. Which <laughs> and then you know a week later you look at it and are just like, Ugh, um And you think I thought this was great, and it turns out that it's terrible. It's so embarrassing. Uh, I would say part of the process of being a writer and getting novels written is embarrassing yourself. Over and over and over again. Yeah. It's a lot of shame. It's a lot of shame.
3: <laughs>
4: so, uh, you recently left Time magazine, which you've been at for, gosh, a long time. Wasn't it like 20, 20 years or something?
0: Yeah. I started at Time in um, 97. So, wow. yeah. Long time.
4: Long time. <laughs> um, so as someone who is just recently started branching out into writing, it, talking about me here, not Jamie. He's been he's been around forever. He's old, too. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm actually older than him. So yeah, thanks An inside Joke there. You're welcome. Um, but as someone who's just starting to do that this late in life, uh, I'm, I'm wondering how did you balance that all that time writing and working? Probably a very demanding day job. Um, what kind of advice would you have for me?
0: Oh, it's, it's, it's one of these things. When I'm talking to younger writers about my career and you know, what they can expect, it is always with great horror that they receive the news that um, I had a day job for a very long time. I had a day <laughs> job through um, three best-selling novels. Um, you, know, you have your first best-selling, best-selling novel. You don't actually quit your day job, and you don't necessarily quit it after the second one yeah. or even after the third one. it wasn't until um two years after the magician's land that i finally left time um even and you know there was a tv show on the air and i was still working my day job because when you have kids and i have three of them um and a mortgage uh you know you just um you realize if my next book is a flop uh then you know where's the money going to come from you really uh that the safety net of that health insurance yeah, and that's I was just gonna say are so crucial so crucial and it's so hard to pull the trigger on giving them up if i'd had some success in my 20s it would have been so easy um because i wouldn't have any dependents you know um and i would have had i had no fixed abode wouldn't have been a big deal quitting my job but when you know when success comes in your 40s uh it's kind <laughs> of it's it's shaped differently um, and it was it was difficult balancing them. Um, it was difficult. Uh, you know, in some ways, it was good to be able to drop the fiction and work on a piece of journalism and reporting. Uh, and then, you know, you come back after a week in the real world and everything is fresh and you can you see things clearly. Um, but it was um It was exhausting. It was <laughs> And, you know, you feel as though you're after a while, you feel like you're cheating both sides. I'm not working as hard as I should for time. Uh, and yet I'm also kind of stopping and going uh, um, and losing time on these fictional projects. They're both suffering. You know, I've got I've got mm-hmm. to pick one. And when it came down time to pick one, I knew which one I was going to pick. <laughs> Clearly right yeah. decision. I, I support your
4: decision in case you were worried that <laughs> I wouldn't. Uh, <laughs> Um, so, you know, I know that you've moved on to to other other things. You're, you are you know, writing new things, different things away from the magicians. Um, but as somebody who's very much enjoyed the three books that you have written, um, you know, I was wondering if you might revisit it. And then if maybe you did, was there any thought given to fleshing out the actual fillery stories as like making them something real, because, you know, they're they're not real books, obviously. Um, but they're very cool. And I would kind of like to read those someday. So have you given any thought to that?
0: I've thought about it. I've thought about it. It, it may be the number one question that, that people ask me about in the books.
4: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: uh, and I did actually write the first chapter of the first Fillory book, and it's floating around on the net somewhere. <laughs> uh, but, you know, the truth is, um, I, I, for me, it's a big deal that those are books that were written by Christopher Plover, who, you know, in the end was not a hundred percent great person. Um, and the understatement,
4: <laughs> understatement of the entire conversation, um, right? And, <laughs> you
0: know, a lot of the, a lot of the magician's books are actually about sort of unpacking what was missing from the failure books, what they covered up. Mm-hmm. um what was hidden behind them so the idea of going back and writing them it feels a little bit like 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 throwing the the machine into reverse um mm-hmm. and and papering over the cracks which uh um which i had which i wrote three magicians books to kind of reveal mm-hmm. so i don't know it 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 the idea feels a little funny to me um and i i don't know if i can do it i don't know if i can do it very reasonable response that makes
4: sense i i get it um, um i still i still want to read it but i totally <laughs> get it
0: <laughs> i i love the idea of writing something you know middle grade uh for that audience level like i said i have three kids um i tell them stories all the time and uh, i read books to them aloud all the time and think gosh how great it would be to write in this idiom mm. you know um uh and i want to do something like that i've written about half of the middle grade novel which i which i like a lot and hope to one day finish but it's just not a fillery novel
1: sam
4: all right so you know uh, we'll wrap this up with a very serious question Mm. um you need to give it some really good thought um (laughs) because i expect it to be the most thoughtful response you've given if you were any type of candy in the world what type of candy would you be (laughs)
0: <laughs> um <laughs> wow what a terrible fate to be a piece of candy <laughs> i know uh, unless you were delicious then you
4: know, you not know so
0: bad. I, I think i'd probably want to be you know that um when i when i was a kid um uh you would go to halloween for, for halloween and you come back with a huge sack of candy and then there, mm-hmm. but there were a few pieces of candy that just never got eaten uh, <laughs> non-appealing. one of them was the mounds bar
1: <gasps> bite your tongue i those are the first things i eat <laughs> well i know
0: that you know there are those first individuals who, yeah. <laughs> those people um, in my family that was considered to be uh um you know it was just you got it you know in your bag that's fine but you, you don't actually eat the mounds bar um, <laughs> i'll take them that's that's where i would be or a, a really really Stale um, uh, bazooka bubble gum. Um, <laughs> you know those little—they're little those little bricks of gum, uh, which yeah. over time became so hard as to be almost inevitable. Inedible. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna go. Yeah, I'm gonna go with a really old
1: stale piece of. Uh, You're the candy that nobody wants. I just don't want to be eaten. Oh, I he see. wants to survive. I <laughs> He's totally a survivor. He was I, I, I want to live. I want to live. And. Well, don't end up in my Halloween bag, because the mounds and the almond joys, those are the ones I go for first. Yeah, okay, I'm,
0: I'm, I'm warned. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Lev, thank you so much for the time. This has just been a pleasure.
0: Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. It's been super fun.
3: All right, fantastic interview. You guys both did a wonderful job. Hey, thanks. As, as usual. And as the usual. As the usual. <laughs> the usual. And also the the books, uh, the magician books that that he's most known for has a TV show attached to it. I'm sure everybody knows that. But um, you you were mentioning Jamie; they're going into their third season.
1: Yeah, the third the season just started on Sci-Fi, so uh, it's been a it's been a phenomenal success. I mean, you know, as as successful as the books were. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's gonna to translate to film or television well, but they've been they've done a really good job with it. And uh, yeah, the third season just started, sci-fi. Um, I wish I could tell you what night, but I have no idea, I don't have TV. So, uh, you know, I'm sure you could, there's this thing called the internet. If you really wanna you know when it's that. on, go look for it, yeah. <laughs>
2: um, I think the the one thing maybe that to share is that season three of the TV show picks up with book two of the series but it also goes into some of the storylines in book three so um i'm kind of surprised by that when when i learned that's where they were headed because i I think it's almost that they're they're jumping ahead in part of it but not all of it Mm -hmm. I, i think is what's going on with it i've only watched the first episode of the new season Uh, i tend to save everything and watch it all at once right yeah (laughs) when i've got a weekend it's it's
3: interesting to me too that they're actually following the storyline of the book because often you'll see a tv show and it will just be based on the book and they won't necessarily you know follow storylines or Mm -hmm. anything like that so that's interesting that's very game of thrones of them
2: yes they're actually (laughs) staying fairly fairly loyal um, and not as many people die for those who are concerned. Um, go ahead and watch. Not everybody dies in this one. You're
3: so this also leads to the next question: When is the art of the deal getting its own TV show? <laughs> the what? Oh, Justin.
2: I am rendered speechless. <laughs> I had no reaction. We're that.
3: living. You're living it out every single day in real life. Yes,
4: I am.
1: Yeah. No. We. we yeah. It's no. We don't want that as a TV show because yeah, we're living it.
2: <laughs> oh, you're so mean, Justin, rubbing it in I'm, that you're not I'm here. Sorry.
3: I'm sorry. It's okay. I know. I'm sorry. I'm a horrible person. Alright guys, thank you so much for coming back every single week. We really enjoy having you listen to our wonderful show that we put together thank you samantha or if most people can't see this in our recording software she has written our lady samantha that's her name (laughs) 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 so that's what she'll be referred to from now on (laughs) oh lord
2: i should have picked something better (laughs) (laughs)
3: and if you want to leave us an itunes review that would be absolutely wonderful let us know how amazing we are Uh, you don't even have to do that just you know let us know what you think of the podcast strengths weaknesses you know try not to be too hard (laughs) and then you can follow us on facebook and twitter at the gbb podcast as well as the gbbpodcast.com that's a lot of places and it's a lot of
1: places so you have no excuse to not find us
3: exactly And if you want to, for some reason, talk to me. I'm Justin at 140 Justin C. And Samantha, you are?
2: At Samantha Fisher on Twitter.
3: And Jamie is, of course. I am the (laughs) RoarBots. We'll see you next time. Right here, same place, same download time. (laughs) Take care.
4: (laughs) This podcast has been a production of the Geek Dad Podcast Network.
3: If you've enjoyed this content, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash geekdad.